Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 20. Our study of the end times has brought us to that point known as the millennium, the thousand-year kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. You remember Christ has returned. He has defeated the Antichrist and the armies of the world. The Antichrist and the false prophet have been cast into the lake of fire. Satan has been bound in the abyss and will be there for a thousand years. The dead in Christ have been raised, resurrected to glorious, perfected bodies after the very glory of Jesus himself. The saints have been rewarded at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, the bema of Christ, for our service as Christians. The marriage of Christ to his bride, the church, has taken place. And now we are entering into a thousand-year honeymoon known as the Millennial Kingdom. Over in Revelation chapter 20, we see uh, the scriptures that speak about this Millennial Kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, I'll begin reading in verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. This thousand-year kingdom is commonly called the millennial kingdom. Millennium is from Latin, and it simply means a thousand years. And when people speak of the millennium, they are generally referring to this thousand-year reign of Christ. It seems that a number of people have the mistaken idea that when Jesus comes back and defeats the Antichrist, then there is heaven. But I believe the Bible clearly teaches that between the second coming of Christ and heaven, that a number of things will happen, and one of those being the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. There are those who are called amillennialist, all meaning not, who do not believe that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ. They would see this passage as simply being symbolic. But I believe that the Scripture clearly teaches that Christ will reign upon the earth after he returns. Now, there are a number of passages in the Bible that refer to this kingdom of Christ. And I want to look at a few of those because I want to show you why 
I and many others believe that there will be this kingdom of Christ after he returns. We look in the book of Daniel first, and there are two visions spoken of in the book of Daniel that foretell of this kingdom of Christ. The first one is over in chapter 2 of Daniel. And there you remember Nebuchadnezzar sees a great statue. And the head is of gold. The arms and breast are made of silver. The stomach and thighs are made of bronze. The legs are made of iron. And a stone crushes the feet and the statue. And this stone becomes a great mountain filling the earth. That's what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision. Now, Daniel interpreted this vision and told him these were the kingdoms that were going to be on the earth uh, prior to the coming of the kingdom of Christ. And we pick up the interpretation that we are interested in, and that's the part that talks about the kingdom of Christ in verse 44 of Daniel 2, and it is on your sheet there. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, that is, the previous kingdoms represented by the statue. You remember the stone came and it crushed the statue, turned it into fine dust. And the stone was Christ, who ended up growing into a mountain and covering the earth. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. And so Daniel interprets this stone cut out of the mountain to be Christ. And as we have seen, Christ will come back. He will destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist, represented by the toes of clay and iron. And his kingdom will exceed all other kingdoms, and it will grow and fill the entire earth. And so the thousand-year reign of Christ will be a worldwide reign. The next vision is over in Daniel chapter 7. And this is a vision that Daniel has. And this vision also speaks about the coming kingdom of Christ, beginning in verse 13 of Daniel 7. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So here we have the vision of Christ coming, the Ancient of Days being God the Father, the Son of Man being Christ, coming and setting up a glorious kingdom and His saints, Christians, ruling and reigning with Him. 
Now, also Daniel saw uh, ten horns, or a beast with ten horns, and then a little horn came up and plucked out three of the horns, and then this little horn uh, proclaimed all these blasphemies. And you remember from our previous study that that little horn represents the Antichrist. Well, in Daniel 7, he speaks about interpreting what this means. And he says, I kept looking, and that horn, that is a little horn that came up and ended up being the Antichrist, that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Now, when is that? That's during the seven years of tribulation. Remember? Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. And so what we're going to see is when Christ comes back and after the marriage of Christ to his bride, that he will set up his styles in your kingdom and we will join him as co-regents with him and we will rule and reign with him during this thousand-year kingdom. Actually, more is said in the Bible about the thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth than any other prophetic event. The Old Testament is filled with references to the millennial kingdom. Daniel has references to it. Isaiah has references to it. Zechariah has references to it. Now, this is one of the reasons, probably the main reason, that Jesus' disciples kept looking for the kingdom to come. You remember? They kept saying, is now the time you're going to set up the kingdom? They were familiar with all of these Old Testament passages that talked about the coming Messiah setting up his kingdom and ruling and reigning. And so they kept looking for that kingdom. They kept asking, is this it? John the Baptist was confused. He thought Jesus was going to come set up his kingdom. And you remember from prison, he sent messengers to Jesus and said, are you the one or is there someone else coming? And Jesus sent word back to him and said, tell him. I raise the dead, I heal the lame, I give the sight to the blind. In other words, Jesus was coming, but not the way John thought. You see, what they didn't understand from the Old Testament was there would be this period of time between the coming of Christ, his first coming, and his return to set up his kingdom. They thought his first coming was when he was going to set up his kingdom. They didn't see the difference. Some people have said it's kind of like when you look at mountains from a distance, you don't realize that there may be miles between the mountains. When you're looking straight on, they look like they're next to each other. But when you turn sideways and realize they're miles apart. And so as they looked at these prophecies about the kingdom of Christ and Christ's coming, they didn't realize that the first coming and his second coming were thousands of years apart. They thought they looked like they were all at the same time. But in reality, they were thousands of years apart. Even before Jesus ascended into heaven, what was the last thing his disciples asked him over in Acts chapter 1, verse 7? They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? They kept thinking, is it now? Is it going to happen now? They never did catch it. They never did get the idea. They were so steeped. They were so engrafted in the idea that when the Messiah came, he would set up his kingdom. And because there's so much in the Old Testament, and we'll look at a great deal of it in the weeks to come, 
because there's so much in the Old Testament about the millennial kingdom, John doesn't tell us much about it at all. Notice just those few verses. Yet John tells us one thing that we don't find anywhere else in Scripture about the kingdom of God. And you know what that is? That it's going to be a thousand years of duration. Nowhere else in Scripture does it give us any time frame. But John, in these verses that we just saw, six times, six times in those few verses, says it will be a thousand years. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. There will be a thousand years between the time the saints are resurrected and the wicked are resurrected. Six times he mentions a thousand years. And so in these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this thousand-year kingdom of Christ. And we're going to be answering questions such as, what is God's purpose for the thousand-year kingdom? Why not just have heaven immediately when Christ comes back? Why have this thousand-year kingdom? What will be Christ's relation to this kingdom? What will the millennial kingdom be like? What will you and I be doing during the millennial kingdom? Will any unsaved people be in the millennial kingdom? We'll be looking at this and answering these questions and more in the weeks ahead. Tonight, we're going to look at God's purposes for the millennial kingdom. We're answering the question, why did he even have a millennial kingdom? Why not just heaven? Christ comes back, defeats the Antichrist, and then the new heaven and the new earth. Why this thousand-year reign of Christ? I'm going to give you five reasons, five purposes. Number one, the millennial kingdom will fulfill God's promises to Jesus to give him the throne of his father, David. God promised and prophesied many times in the Bible that Jesus would be a descendant of David and he would have an earthly kingdom. One example is over in Jeremiah chapter 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, verse 5, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. That's referring to Jesus Christ. Now, in Jesus' first coming, he didn't set up a kingdom. He didn't rule and Israel dwell securely and Judah be saved. They were under Roman control. And so in order for God to fulfill this promise to the Lord Jesus, we must have this millennial kingdom where he does rule and reign supremely. Also, remember when the angel came to Mary to tell her, that she would give birth to God's son, she gave a promise. Excuse me, he gave a promise. The angel gave a promise. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That did not happen in Christ's first coming. It will happen when he comes again. And this thousand-year kingdom will be God fulfilling his promise to the Lord Jesus. God is always faithful to his promises, and he will fulfill his promises to Jesus 
that he would have an earthly kingdom during the millennial kingdom. Second purpose. God will fulfill three Old Testament covenants, three Old Testament promises that he has made. First, the covenant he made with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land where I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Two promises God gave Abraham in this covenant. That his descendants would be a mighty nation. And secondly, his descendants would someday own Palestine forever. And we see that in Genesis 13. When the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. That promise has never to this day been fulfilled. Israel has not, has not owned and controlled all of Palestine forever. If you look at the history of Israel, you will see that the Romans came in and for thousands of years they didn't even have a country to call their own. It's only been since 1949 that they even have a country. Still, they don't control everything. They don't control the, the breadth of what God promised Abraham. But in the millennial kingdom, they will. They will control all of this area, all of Palestine. God will fulfill his promises to them. They will be a mighty nation, and they will have all of Palestine forever. In fact, Ezekiel, over in his book, in chapters 47 through 48, he even gives the allotment which tribes will be in which part of Israel during the millennial kingdom. He's already assigned the tribes. And you say, well, I thought ten of the tribes were lost. Well, they've been called the ten lost tribes, had not they? But I saw on the, I think it was either on the History Channel or Discovery Channel, uh, or maybe it was a CD that Marilyn loaned me, that this this guy who has made it his mission to locate where the lost tribes of Israel are today. And he's gone all over the world, and he, by looking at cultures and finding remnants of Israeli culture and Old Testament teachings, he's been able to find all of the tribes of Israel that were considered lost. And God says that in the Millennial Kingdom, each of the tribes will have its special allotment of the land. So God knows where they are. Even if we don't, he knows where they are, and he'll bring them back. And so you see the covenant that God made with Abraham will be fulfilled. Secondly, the covenant that God made with David will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Over in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God spoke to David and he made a covenant with him. He says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, God is promising David that from David's descendants would come an everlasting throne. That from David's descendants would come an everlasting kingdom. From David's descendants would come an everlasting king. And these promises of God to David some 3,000 years ago will be faithfully fulfilled by our great God in the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ, David's descendant, will have an everlasting throne. The third covenant that we see fulfilled in the millennial kingdom is that new covenant that the writer of Hebrews talks about. And he's actually quoting from Jeremiah. But in Hebrews chapter 8, we read, For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, this new covenant has been only partially fulfilled in our day. Only a few of the house of Israel have been saved. Now, we Gentiles have been brought into this covenant, and the rite of Hebrews is mentioning that. But verse 11 will not be fulfilled until the millennial kingdom. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. It has never been able to be said that everyone has known the Lord God from the least to the greatest in the nation of Israel. But in the millennial kingdom, this will be true. Every Israelite in the millennial kingdom will know the Lord. They will not need to teach anyone saying, know the Lord, they will know Him from the least to the greatest. And so God will use the millennial kingdom to fulfill three covenants that He made in the Old Testament. Thirdly, the millennial kingdom will be to fulfill God's promise to Christ and to Christians that we will reign with Christ. Now we want to look at three verses in the book of Revelation. Over in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So he's talking to Christians. He's promising us that one day, if we stand fast with him, that we will reign with him. Also, Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. So he's saying that 
Christians who have overcome, who have remained faithful to him, will have authority over nations and will rule with him in the millennial kingdom is when this is going to take place. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And over in Revelation chapter 5, in verses 9 and 10, we read, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So our faithful God is going to fulfill his word to us that we will reign with Christ during the millennial kingdom. Fourthly, the millennial kingdom will answer that often prayed model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We prayed many times for the kingdom of God to come. And with the millennial kingdom, that prayer will be answered. And the fifth reason is that God will redeem creation. He will redeem creation. He will fulfill his promise to creation. Over in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about when man sinned, even creation was damaged and corrupted because of our sin. And he says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That is for us to be resurrected and glorified in the glory of Christ. Why? For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers with the pains of childbirth together until now. God is going to completely restore nature from the effects of sin in the millennial kingdom. When Adam sinned, creation suffered. Death, decay, disease, thorns, weeds, storms. But in the millennial kingdom, God will restore creation to its state in the Garden of Eden. And He will fulfill His word to creation that it will be put back as He intended. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah chapter 11 when he says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid. They won't be ferocious wild animals. They'll be tame. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them, and the cow and the bear will graze, and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child will play by the hold of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. And they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The redemption Jesus wrought at the cross will reverse the effects of sin on nature during the millennial kingdom. No storms, no tornadoes, no hurricanes, no tidal waves, no earthquakes. Nature will be restored to its Edenistic state. So when you put all this together, What we see is the main purpose of the millennial kingdom will be a faithful God fulfilling His promises. The whole purpose, the whole 
theme behind the millennial kingdom will be God fulfilling His Word. A faithful God bringing glory to Himself as He fulfills all of the promises that He has ever made. He will literally move heaven and earth to fulfill His Word. Now we forget our promises. We make promises and we forget them. And People tell us they're going to do things and we just lose patience. But God will carry forth His promises. He will never renege on one single promise of His Word. Our God is a promise-keeping God. And He keeps His promises to you and me today. And He kept His promises to His people in Jesus' day. And He will keep His promises in the Millennial Kingdom. And it will be a thousand-year display of our faithful God fulfilling His Word. Hallelujah. What a great God we have. And you and I, as Christians, will be able to witness this glorious thousand-year display of the promise-keeping faithfulness of our great God. Amen. That concludes our study for tonight.